Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite podcast, where we bring you compelling stories and features from Yosemite National Park and the Sierra Nevada Mountains. I'm Laura Jackson, an interpretive guide from Yosemite who has lived and worked in the park since 2004. And on today's show, I wanted to talk a little bit about the geology of Yosemite Valley. So many parts of the Sierra Nevada were carved out and shaped over thousands of years of glacier activity. And Yosemite Valley is a prime example of a, gla- of a classic glacier carved valley. It has steep walls and a wide flat bottom with acres of meadows and wetlands and forests. And so the glaciers that carved Yosemite Valley melted away from the western slopes of the Sierra Nevada a long, long time ago. But they left behind a lot of evidence of their time there. Evidence such as chatter marks, polished granite slab, and glacial erratics can be found all over Yosemite Valley. And we can even determine where a glacier has traveled from, from the rocks and debris that it it leaves behind. One of the best places for geologists to find evidence of where a glacier has been is within glacial moraines, piles of debris that remain virtually undisturbed from centuries of sediment buildup and flooding. The river in Yosemite Valley has flooded many times since I have been there, and the changes it brings are always sudden and powerful. Water has been and always will be one of the greatest forces to shape a landscape. It can steadily erode canyon walls over millions of years, or it can completely devastate man's creation in hours or even seconds. I got to see that awesome power two years ago when Yosemite Valley saw one of its more significant flooding events. On the evening of April 6, 2018, national park officials and community leaders gathered to discuss the best course of action over the next 24 hours following the weather report received that day. There was going to be rain, and a lot of it. So not sure what to expect, the superintendent of the park decided to close Yosemite National Park for the safety of visitors and residents, and everyone was instructed to stay inside, only leaving their homes if absolutely necessary. So that night, the rain came. It came as a heavy downpour that persisted for several hours, and we watched as the river rose inch by inch. Water spilled over the riverbanks into the meadows. Yosemite Falls thundered wildly and poured over the top of the pedestrian viewing area. Roads turned into rivers, and the asphalt buckled in many places, and there was even a small landslide. So it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, we hit flood level that day just before the rain stopped and the water then flowed out. Flood day was one of those occasions where we got to see the power of nature in full force and realize how helpless we truly are against it. But flood day was thrilling because proper precautions were put in place, everyone remained safe, and the water swiftly flowed out of Yosemite. And it also gave us a great appreciation of natural phenomena and the chance to see what the valley may have looked like prior to 1879. So seasonal flooding was common then and would last for several weeks, if not a couple of months at a time. The spring floods made for a very different type of landscape on the valley floor, and it made traveling difficult for early visitors hoping to see the glory of spring runoff pouring from the waterfalls into Yosemite Valley. 
So what happened between 1879 to today? Well, earlier in the episode, I mentioned how glaciers carved Yosemite Valley, and we made this discovery by noticing evidence of glacier activity. The last glacier period in the Sierra Nevada ended roughly 10,000 years ago, and when the glaciers melted back, they left behind a telling piece of evidence, uh, moraines. To get a better idea of what a glacial moraine is and how it is formed, I want you to picture your foot in the dirt. If you slide your foot forward, a ridge of dirt forms around the sides of your shoe. Now, if you move your foot back, all the little ridges remain in place. So you just created your own little U-shaped moraine. And it's the same concept with glacial moraines, except your foot in this scenario is a river of ice thousands of feet thick. One of the most significant moraines in Yosemite Valley is the terminal moraine located near El Capitan. It lies north to south, stretching almost from one wall to the other. Most people arriving into Yosemite don't even notice the moraine, as it is overshadowed by the striking views of El Capitan and Bridalville Falls. For approximately 10,000 years, the flow of the Merced River through, through the valley was obstructed by the moraine, as it was a natural dam as well. So the river eventually cut through a weakness and, and flowed out uh, as sediment built up on the bedrock of Yosemite Valley. Now eventually, boulders and other debris and sediment filled in the moraine gap, and the river current slowed and overflowed. And the overflow created river channels that branched out all over the valley floor. When Western Europeans arrived in Yosemite Valley, they were met with a very complex river system, saturated meadows, and annual flooding. In 1879, the complications the river and swampy meadows made for travel prompted the idea to release the river by removing a section of the El Cap Moraine. The project was proposed and carried out by Yosemite guardian Galen Clark, and the boulders were blasted out and the flood water was released. But it wasn't long before Clark noticed what an impact that action had on the river. The current was flowing more rapidly and the water table dropped significantly. And the fast-flowing water was increasingly eroding the riverbank away. So Clark called for a system to be put in place to protect the riverbank from further erosion. And in 1880, workers embedded thousands of rocks into the sides of the riverbank. For a long time, the Merced River resembled man-made canals more than a wild and scenic river. And then further development of Yosemite meant permanent bridges, diversion of river channels, and increased infrastructure being built to accommodate the burgeoning tourist market. Rocks, fallen trees, and other natural debris were removed from the river, which was used primarily then for boating, swimming, and fishing and recreation. Riparian habitats, or the place where the river meets the land, were being trampled by beachgoers, and that was destroying the natural vegetation and root systems that held the riverbanks together. So there was a lot working against the river back then. But while blasting out the moraine gap did contribute to changes in the movement of the river, Armoring the riverbank with rocks against further erosion, diverting river channels, building bridges and roads, and removing debris from the water was definitely unnatural. They were controlled maneuvers. We were working against the river and not with it. The Merced is a lovely and precious source. It not only provides habitat for hundreds of species and a relaxing environment, it is extremely vital for the agricultural industry of California. The Merced River feeds into the San Joaquin Delta, and that's the water source for much of the agriculture that feeds the United States. 
So protecting the Merced River as a valued source is not only in the best interest of national park enthusiasts, it is in the best interest of the millions of people depending on the food grown in California's Central Valley. So efforts in the park to protect and restore the Merced River started in 2015 with the adoption of the Merced River Plan. Part of the effort includes removing the rocks embedded into the sides of the riverbank, what is called riprap, and revegetating the, with native plants um, all along the riverbank. So many structures um, thought to negatively affect the course of the river have also been removed, and overflow during high water season is now being encouraged by not removing natural debris. The river we see today may look very different from the river we expect to see in the next decade. The hope is to restore the river to its original state as much as possible without filling in the moraine gap, which I believe was initially proposed. The Merced River and Yosemite Valley were changed forever when the moraine was blasted out in 1879, but the larger mistake may have been trying to control one of nature's greatest forces. The effort is futile and can be undone in the blink of an eye. Sometimes the best thing to do is to just let a river run wild. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Little Yopod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review um, or share it with a friend. Again, I know rating and reviewing is like rocket science. <laughs> they make it so hard. Um, so, you know, just telling a friend about Little Yopod actually really helps a lot. You can tell them about the Facebook page and there are links to all the episodes from there. Um, if you have any comments, corrections, concerns, you can also email those to me privately at uh, littleyopod at gmail.com. Um, or again, you can always reach me on the Facebook page, Little Yopod. Um, if you're listening to this episode the day it releases, which would be April 22nd of 2020, then I would like to wish you a very happy Earth Day. How do you celebrate Earth Day? Do you plant a tree? Do you pick up trash in your neighborhood or a place that you love to visit? Do you separate your garbage, your compost, your recycling, and your other waste? Do you check to see where your food is coming from, making sure it's not traveling from too far away? Or do you plan your shopping trips and errands so that you don't have to drive around as much? Maybe you practice Meatless Monday. There are so many ways we can help the earth, ourselves, and our community. So what are some of your ideas? I would love it if you would post them to the Little Yo Pod Facebook page. Um, and I would really love to share some on future episodes. I think we're all looking for ways we can make a positive difference amid the uncertainty we've all been facing the last few weeks. And Earth Day is a great time to remember all of the things that we still have to be grateful for. This week's fun fact, electronic devices that are plugged in on standby mode, which means that you're not using them, account for 10% of a household's energy use. So unplugging those electronics, such as computers, cell phone chargers, printers, etc., coffee makers, uh, could save up to $100 per year. For an average household. So there you go. Little Yo Pod just saved you some money. Maybe you want to contribute it to <laughs> Little Yo Pod. I'm just kidding. Enjoy, enjoy your earnings. Anyway, you're welcome. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. Join me next week for another episode of Campfire Stories, where I bring you tales of mishap, adventure, and high strangeness from the Sierra Nevada. Until then, thanks for listening and have a beautiful day.